breakfast puppies? This podcast contains adult language and content and is meant for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Glitter Boys. Continuing where Matthew and I left off with our walk through the Palladium Fantasy role-playing game world books, Jacob and I are going to look at book eight, The Western Empire. This is the first of the fully second edition world books for the fantasy line. With some interesting things here and there, when I was rereading it in preparation for this, I caught a couple points where, you know, something snuck through and there's a reference that seems like it's a first edition reference, but nothing major. So I was very, very happy with how the transition got made. It's one thing I want to praise right off the bat, the art. Like the cover is one of my favorite Palladium fantasy covers. And it's from our favorite. Oh, yeah. Brom. Brom. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. I don't know who that's supposed to be. Mm. I don't know what it has to do with the Western Empire, I, but I, it's pretty cool. I was reading through the book waiting to figure out, like, who is this guy? I need to figure yeah. out who this guy is. But. In so many different ways, he's very emblematic of the Western Empire. Haughty, a little bit arrogant, um, militaristic, but you could also see that that's a man with soft hands who's willing to pay his hand way out of a situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a good. He's got those arched eyebrows too. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm, yep, it's a good cover. And it's got hints at the bottom of there being some kind of an invasion. Like, yep. Just tiny little, little, little hints of like, maybe those are troops or maybe they're siege engines. It's hard to tell, but this guy is probably leading an invasion of some kind. And that is the main focus of <laughs> the Western Empire's role in the Palladium world. They are invading everything and trying to take over the world. Absolutely. They had a greater presence, I believe, in the lore. And then a lot of that shrank with revolution mm-hmm. and, and uh, civil war. But now they're, uh, they're back at it. They're, they're, they're marching forth to, to conquer the eastern territories, to, to conquer the Insloth jungles and Ophid's grasslands and all of those places. Yeah, and uh, like uh, one of the things I want to praise about this book Timelines appear in several of the world books. In fact, probably most of them. I didn't double check that, but yeah, it's common enough. But the timeline in the Western Empire book is very robust, very solid. Without going and writing a historical treatise on the history, the rise and fall and re-rise of the Western Empire... In less than three pages, you get a sense of how old, how deep, the how it's placed in the world. It, it, it gives a very lived-in feel in very little prose. Yeah. As a general overview of the contents of this book, we have a lot of world information. It's broken down into the various provinces and regions of the empire itself. That's that's actually largely it. It's mm-hmm. it's the breakdown of, uh, of all of the 
of all of the regions and the the who's who, the the, peop, the powers that be, uh, a little bit of their history, what they think of each other. This is all classic Palladium stuff. Yep. And yeah, that history, the the introduction to the Western Empire's role in the world is deep. Mm-hmm. It's 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 classic. It's it carries forth that same depth that I feel that Palladium has always been good at. Yes. And in fact, I think it takes it a step further by adding a lot more information. Yeah, it really feels like this is the book where Palladium Fantasy kind of upped their game in world building and world detailing. I will say I will agree with that largely. I I have complaints about this book, mm. which I, you know what, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and dive into it. So fuck, fuck saving it for later. Okay, so this is the first book of the Palladium Fantasy series that Bill Coffin did. I think Bill Coffin has done some great work on some of the other game lines. I think, however, that caveat, everybody who listens knows that I love first edition. I love the first edition rule set, and I love the presentation of the first edition books. The pinnacle, in my opinion, are Adventures of the Northern Wilderness, part one and two. The That, that adventurous feeling, that dark world the 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 hint at demonic things beyond the edge that almost cross over sometimes into howardian and lovecraftian detail the that grungy artwork that shows it the life of an adventurer without glory <laughs> it's dirty and it's violent and sometimes you have to stop and just deal with the stress of it i love that presentation of the world. This, it started really in Yensloth because Yensloth was like that transitioning, trans, trans, transitory, transitioning, transitionary, transitionary, transitory, whatever. It was, it was that book that crossed from first into second with Western Empire being the official second edition book. But everything just got... Bigger and, mm-hmm. and more and badder and tougher and more demons and more monsters and it's like oh Bill I think you think I think you lost it I think you I think you lost the magic or I think or maybe he saw it and was like I don't want any of that I'm gonna do it my way and then that's the turning point like mm. this is the book that clinched it that ended that beautiful mystery feeling of adventure from the first edition. So what did it become then? Because you've talked about what it's not. So what is it? Let's look at some of Bill's own words. A note about wilderness encounters. This is on page 12. Mm -hmm. I, Bill Coffin, usually don't incorporate random wilderness encounters into my adventures, which is the reason why you won't find any such tables in this book. For those of you who do like having random wilderness encounters or would like to see a range of creatures, blah, 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 consult monsters and animals, blah, 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 provide a good idea of the kinds of wild things romping about in this part of the world. The end of the random encounter table in Palladium, it's like it lost part of that charm. The random encounter tables in the previous books didn't feel like random encounters. They felt like scenes and events and like you can even look at the rifts books especially the 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 more recent world books 
uh, like the adventure guide or uh, I think, uh, what was it, Arsno? I don't know. Some of them have some amazingly deep random encounters in them, like these tables of things that players might encounter. But it's not just 1d6 orcs with a sorcerer. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a group of soldiers on their way to a thing and they have lost their way. Uh, initial meeting might be suspicious, but if the party chats with them, they might then find out this bit of information. Like, OK, this is deep. Mm-hmm. Bill threw all of that away. As someone who has a love-hate relationship with ra- with random encounters, I it's I, I can take them or leave them. Um, but you are right; some of the best in the game for writing random encounters that are for the world in question and even the region in question was first edition Palladium. Yep, random tables are what I love so much about Palladium's products, and not just fantasy. Rifts has wonderful random tables. Heroes Unlimited has all of the random powers and oh, random yeah. aliens. <laughs> and even Nightbane is nothing but random tables. And to just be like, I don't like random tables. Goodbye. Maybe you're a cool guy, but I hate that attitude. Like, it, it makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really think that that's um, a personal opinion. And, yeah, I, and I agree. Yeah. But the one thing I will say about random tables without us dragging us into a tangent about random tables is one of the strengths of Palladium's random tables was it was a great way to give novice GMs ideas on how to frame encounters in good ways. As someone who absolutely abhorred first edition Dungeons and Dragons random encounter tables. It was like a breath of fresh air when I encountered Palladium Fantasy random tables because, the, it, like you said, it's much more lived in. It's much more literative and all of that. Another thing, I feel like the NPCs get a little bit too much detail. Previously, you could find all of these NPCs that had much shorter descriptions, and we're talking like kings and cardinals and people of power that would have maybe maybe a paragraph here we get all of this detail which i guess some people like but for me it it adds so much canon that it can be difficult to break away from it and do your own thing it can also be difficult to respect the characters that are even being talked about mm-hmm. for example emperor Etimus. let's talk about this guy Oh, yeah. Young Emperor. He's the, the first one with a lot of power. He's got a lot of charisma. People think he's he's, he's going to change the empire. He's got a lot of panache. And you're like, man, this guy's like called up. He's he's bringing his power, his name, his uh, his family to power. And he's he seems pretty cool. Oh, man, he must have some pretty good skills. He's got some OK skills. The reason he's so good at it is, quote, one of Emperor Etimus's greatest strengths and defenses is his vast psionic power. Being a natural mind mage with triple the normal amount of ASP, he's apparently a mutant of some kind. He had dramatic edge over many of his rivals, and I lose all respect for him right there. Why? Why does he need that? Why can't he not just be good at what he does? Mm-hmm. At playing the Game of Thrones. Right. 
No, no, he's a mind mage. He's a mutant, a natural master mutant with triple the normal psionics. What is this wankery? Yeah, I. It, it's the... When I was reviewing the book and read that, I was like, oh, okay, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, mind mage. Okay, I, I'm actually kind of liking this. And then I hit that for no particular reason... For some reason, triple. I, I wasn't a huge fan of that. It, it, you know, I, I come from at a come from a slightly different perspective, where I don't mind very detailed, very rich character descriptions. You know, so that part doesn't bother me. But the making a potential major character in a game, a major NPC character in a game that much more powerful for no particular relevant reason you know it 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 just didn't make sense yeah it just rubbed me the wrong way it it felt a little too min maxy <laughs> a little too power gamey like let's make this really cool npc and pay a natural mind me come on <laughs> you could do better than that yeah. you can do better it felt a little lazy. Yeah, a little lazy. I'm looking through all of my notes. So I use a PDF reader on Android called Zodo, X-O-D-O. Uh, as a side note, I use a much, much, much older version of it, the last version 5, because after version 5, they started inserting ads, and then they started making all of the free apps, all of the, the free features, sort of making you pay for them. I'm like, mm. oh, assholes. Anyway... I use all these notes and I like that I can highlight things and then key things. I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lines that I highlight because whenever I read a Palladium book, I look for juicy bits of imagination fodder. Mm -hmm. Usually it's in the, usually I get the most of them from the, the key location descriptions. Again, there's so many of these numbered locations of a mapped out city that just sounds fascinating little single sentences or single paragraphs that suddenly you have this wealth of imaginative fodder right there and there are some really good ones here's one on page 47 number 65 kadash doll works ah uh. The proprietor harbors a secret dream of one day building a monstrous golem with which to strike down the world Kadash also harbors a dream of having a small army of doll-sized automatons overrunning the rest of the world and has recently released a phenomenally popular line of children's dolls. That shit is awesome. Oh my god, that's suddenly giving me <laughs> flashbacks to a 90s borderline independent film company. <laughs> I'm trying to... Basically, they made the Dollmaster series. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I know what somebody was watching when they were trying to meet a deadline. <laughs> or those creepy attack dolls from Barbaroa. Yeah. Yeah, and there's another one uh, that I really liked. Uh, page 70. Uh, location number 44. Angus Fanamore Taylor. Poor Angus. He hates all of those crooks and roughnecks. And dreams of a day when they will be driven out of town. But he's just a tailor, not a swordsman. So he swallows his bile and tries to endure. How many sentences is that? Technically three, but the first sentence is just 
Four angus. So it's three sentences. Yep. And you have an amazing amount of characterization. You can tell so much by just three sentences. Tip to all you game writers out there, less can be so much more. And that's a prime example of it. Stepping aside from Palladium, I don't know if this is a deliberate thing that Kevin Crawford does when he designs games. Uh, It might just be natural to the way he writes, or it might be a deliberate style that he has chosen to use. But in Kevin Crawford's books, Stars Without Number, Worlds Without Number, all of the spinoff books, um, Starvation Cheap, and so on. And Echo Resounding is a fantastic one. He has this structure of three-sentence paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Every paragraph has, on average, three sentences. Occasionally, you'll see a two or a four, but it's almost always three sentences. And I just happened to notice this randomly one day while reading Stars Without Number again. It's like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Three-sentence paragraphs. Every single thing is expressed in three sentences. And if it needs more than three sentences, then it becomes an extended para- a second paragraph focusing on like a sub point or uh, you know, taking it a step further kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I love that, the, the three-sentence description of a character. Mm-hmm. And leaving a little bit of mystery there, a little room for game masters and players to play inside. Very nice. Yeah. Most everything else that I really have on this is just my typical highlights. Uh, I will note that on page 150, <laughs> the uh, there's a nice, uh, a nice little nod to Knights of the Dinner Table. Uh, there is a, uh, what is it? Item number 37 is the Jolly Blackburn Inn and Tavern. <laughs> yeah. I love it when I can catch those when I see them. I noticed the same yeah. thing and was going to bring it up. But yeah, no, it was it was great. Somewhere else in here, I forget which page it was, is Floyd's. Yes. Uh, Floyd's a barbershop, I think, which is uh, staffed by Roger, uh, David, and a few others. But they, and they all miss they all lament their their previous friend who can't hang out with them anymore, Sid. And you're like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wish you were here, Sid. Wish yeah. you were here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have some modules at the end. Yes. Kind of wrapping this book up. Some really good ones, I might add. <laughs> I, I liked them. The first two, I think, are solid adventures. Fair. Fair. Yep. Those were the two that I was most fond of. Number three is garbage. I don't understand why this is even here. This is just a long stream of consciousness mind dump that doesn't make any sense. Nothing really works. It's all, it's, this is like time cube level of rambling. It doesn't fit the feel of the rest of the book. It feels like a last minute copy paste. I'd agree. I I would agree with the feel of it, but it also was one that like got my juices flowing on what I could do with it. On page 222, there's a paragraph uh, talking about a, a weapon in this game, which is a hand. It is a runic hand. It is an artifact weapon. It does a lot of cool stuff, but then there's this little little side note that says, of course, one cannot take a WP in the hand. 
So any bonuses to strike or parry will come only from physical prowess and skill bonuses. So my thought on this is, why the fuck not? Why can't somebody take a weapon proficiency in this? If it's permanently grafted to their hand mm-hmm. forever, mm-hmm. they just they they don't get a, they don't get to learn how to use it. I mean, they can't develop their own combat style with it. They can't develop a WP. Like that just seems so arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I could see that one as being one that you want to tweak. It's like Bill Goff had never heard of a cestus. Well, yes. <laughs> that was literally the first thing I went to. I, I, I was intentionally holding back to go through, uh, go, to not go into the, like, Dungeons and Dragons had unarmed skill proficiencies from, you know, Unearthed Arcana on. Why can't we? <laughs> and there's a little bit more here. On page 224, I have another note. This is something that Palladium unfortunately does in some of their modules, but not as often as you might think. I've actually seen it happen more often in old school D&D modules, and that is give the players a vast amount of wealth and then not let them have it. Yeah. And it's such a dick move. Mm -hmm. The one that comes to mind is Adventures in the Northern Wilderness the the one where they have to go into this underground or uh, underwater pirate grotto and return this rune sword, but when they get to the area where the rune sword's supposed to be, there's a bunch of other things, including other rune swords and a shitload of money. Mm-hmm. However, there's the time limit. The party can only be there for so long before tide comes in and they all drown. Right. But there are notes that say, if the party has a water warlock or somebody with certain abilities, they can use those powers to hold the water back. There's a caveat in there, meaning it is possible to do this. Mm-hmm. Or the idea that this place has been here for hundreds of years. Why don't you just wait till the next low tide? Right. Go back in and keep looting. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. However, it, it's one of those things where I'm going to go to the old Simpsons reference. It was the style at the time. I can think of at least two Greyhawk modules that were published around the same time that had that conceit mm-hmm. of you can only grab what you can carry and the rest is lost and or 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 it turns out to be a giant illusion or things like that and I never it never felt good but if handled appropriately you can build a follow-on adventure yeah. potentially and that can actually be a great bit of world building around the party. There's a similar thing that happens here on this page in this adventure. The same one with Tezuan's magical hand that nobody can learn to fight with ever. Is they're just given this vast sum. of They stumble upon this vast horde. And then GM's note, players should only be allowed to take a few thousand. And keep in mind that finding and keeping such a vast public treasure will be difficult under the best of circumstances. Blah, 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 blah. They should have a good amount of trouble removing and selling. They are likely to be robbed, cheated, and waylaid, losing at least 1d4 times 10, if not half or more. And my theory here is, or my, my question here again is, why the fuck not? Like, like that just seems like a dick move. So. In general, I'm inclined to agree with you, but for an adventure that appears within the the Western Empire, 
a land rife with corruption and mm-hmm. bureaucracy. If any of you have ever gone into not the History Channel, but like older documentaries on treasure hunters and stuff, and where you put out these thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars to recover a treasure, only to have the federal government come in and steal, like, quote unquote, steals the wrong word, claim 80% of it. You know, it, it it has kind of a feel to it where you can build an adventure on like, okay, we got all this wealth. Now, how do we keep it? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it feels to me like this adventure, this so-called adventure is just a list of ramblings ultimately related to some magical items that Bill thought were cool. <laughs> but it falls into that trap of the writer coming up with all of these magical items and being like, now you should never let anyone have them. Then why did you write them down? Right. Like what is the point of filling an adventure with treasure that you don't want anyone to have? I don't, the, uh, the game master in me just hates that. It, it's more of what we were talking about in their mm-hmm. last session about the, 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 the dick moves inherent in old school dungeons, yeah. you know, like, the doors to nowhere or the empty trapped chests or the mimic in every hallway or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's just a dick move mm-hmm. and it, it rubs me the wrong way. And unfortunately we're going to see more of this in the rest of Bill Coffin's books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it's, that's definitely an area where I just kind of naturally mentally rewrite it to, And this is something that the players need to overcome rather than a hard and fast rule. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I feel like I'm leaning too heavily into negative on this one. I'm just burnt out. I'm just sad. I'm sad to see first that go. Yeah. And I'm sad to lose that feeling of of mystery and that that world of adventure. Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate that. And to a certain extent, I agree with it as well. But for me, it comes from. Uh, I come at it a little bit different where the Western empire really opened the door for corruption and political plays and uh, moving a party from players on the small stage to suddenly being forced to have to deal with the bigger forces, movers and shakers in society. And as someone who, to a certain extent, enjoys rather political games. And and that includes even the Conan-esque getting hired by one guy to knife another guy <laughs> or, oh, I don't know, break into the uh, wizard's tower and only to find out his ape killed him. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it appeals to me on a certain level, and that's why I'm, perhaps I'm a little bit more positive on this book, um, just because... You know, as someone who literally spends their their nine to five uh, working inside of state bureaucracy to make things work well for people, despite the way the bureaucracy is built, it, it kind of like hits it scratches an itch for me. I do really like the politics of it. I like the the presentation of the factions and I like the. That we see who likes who and why and mm-hmm. which nobles are in favor and which are not. There's a lot of good stuff here to run a political game. Mm-hmm. What I think I just keep coming back to, or I, I guess I just don't like Bill's writing that much. Oh, well. I just that style of uh, 
the the dick move adventurer traps kind of thing yeah. but but also his his being like well i'm abandoning random tables because they suck and and this kind of stuff i'm just oh it's just one more reason why i keep going back to the previous books to 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 build out the scope of my world yeah no and and and, uh, and a lot of that criticism yeah. is a fair and to a certain extent i agree with all of it you know despite you know not being a random person, a table person yeah. myself. So, well, yeah, I could, I can talk about random tables forever, mm-hmm. lovingly. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh God, save me now! No. <laughs> so, but again, I, for the purpose of keeping my interactions and my contributions to this episode not wholly negative, this is great world information. This is. You absolutely need this book if you're going to do any kind of politicking in the Palladium fantasy world. You absolutely need this book if you need want to know anything about the most powerful of human kingdoms in the Palladium fantasy world. Timoro Kingdom is always my heart and soul, but the Western Empire has so much more happening within its borders to keep an, a campaign there for years. And uh, one thing I would like to add is if you want to understand some of the stuff that happens in the books that come after this one, which only popped into my head when I was reviewing the book for, book for this episode, so much of the stuff they talk about in books after this one are, to understand why it's happening, you have to kind of reference this one because the western kingdom starts doing things that start affecting the rest of the world and it's only tangentially referenced in the future books yeah like their presence in the yinsloth jungles grows beyond what is mentioned in the previous book yinsloth mm-hmm. jungles and their presence in ophid's grasslands will mm-hmm. grow beyond that and will actually get touched upon again in the future their their whole campaign into the old kingdom, their their push into the eastern territories, and their questionable relationship with the islands of Fine Lopan. Like mm-hmm. there's there's action happening on those fronts, and we will see more of it as the books go. Even what starts to happen between some of the religions. Oh yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Palladium's religions are so cool. Yeah. <laughs> like just an entire all of these like human societies clearly modeled after like you know holy roman empire and england medieval europe kind of stuff with egyptian inspired gods mm-hmm. uh, i love it i love it that raises an interesting question because that was a thought that i kept coming back to and i wanted to ask this because i wanted your opinion on it Many of the kingdoms in Palladium Fantasy are, I think allegory is the best word for historical societies, historical kingdoms and such. Where do you come down on what the Western Empire is modeled after? So with the Western Empire, I am seeing, because this is where I've been spending a lot of my reading time. I see uh, ancient Nemedia from the Conan books. That is how it comes across to me. 
I'm seeing the Nemedians, and I think the Nemedians were based off of the Etruscans, or either the Etruscans or perhaps the Holy Ro- the Germanic Holy Roman Empire. That's entirely possible. I I found myself torn between um, the Byzantine Empire, mm-hmm. the, oh, yeah. the, the yeah, Eastern yeah. Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and weirdly enough, but if if you're familiar with it. Uh, the Syafid Caliphate, without the mandatory religion, uh, it it has a lot of lot of lot of calls to that. I'm not familiar with that one, and it's funny that you say Byzantine because I can totally see that. And yet, there's also a kingdom of Byzantium, yeah, yeah. which has nothing at all in common with the Byzantines, right? But the, the culture, <laughs> the, the culture is, you know, we're talking the Byzantine Empire, you yeah. know, at its height. Um, Back when uh, Istanbul was Constantinople and all of that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else to say on this book? You know, so it's if you are playing Palladium Fantasy and you aren't just using the rule set to go and write your own rule, your own game, you're actually setting it in the known world and all of that. This is one of the books you absolutely need to own. Because it informs both the books that came before it and the books that will come after it. I will agree with NPC on many, many, many of the shortcomings of the book. But it's still one of the ones that should be one of the first ones you pick up after you pick up the main rule set. Yeah, and especially if you're playing in second edition. It's the foundation of the rest of the second edition. So also Brom. Brom. You you want Brom on your shelf. As much Brom as you can get. Uh, More Brom all the time. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for listening, folks. If you uh, have, if you take any umbrage with my harsh criticisms of this book, please drop by a discord and tell me how wrong I am. Or, politely, uh, <laughs> politely, politely, please. As we, one of the yes. moderators on the Discord, yeah, let, yeah. We, we disagree all the time on the Discord, but we do it respectfully and civilly. <laughs> Agreed. Any kind of disagreements and arguments. Well, you know what? No argument. I prefer no arguments. Disagreements are fine. Just, you know, be excellent to one another. You can you can disagree and be excellent. So. Wild stallion yeah. rules apply. <laughs> anyway, drop by our Discord and say hello or uh, send us some tweets. Some folks send me Facebook messages and I try and get to them, but I don't often check them. So I'm usually like a week or so behind on my responses there. Um, Discord is ultimately the best way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we hope to see you there. And bring your best meme game. <laughs> Starships, magic, mystic martial arts, romance. All of these can be found in A Cloak of Blades by Isaac Sher. You might have heard my name before. I've done a lot of voiceover work for Breakfast Puppies. And I've recently released my first novel. It's available on Amazon as an ebook and paperback. And you can get it for free if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription. I do hope you'll support my work as you're supporting Breakfast Puppies. And it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Have a good one.
You've been listening to The Glitter Boys, a Palladium Books fan podcast. Glitter Boys, Rifts, the Megaverse, and all other such topics are the property of Kevin Sambita and Palladium Books. Please buy all their stuff and help keep them in print and making more games. You can order directly at palladiumbooks.com, and their entire catalog is available digitally at DriveThruRPG as well. Our opening music is 8-Bit Bass and Lead by Furby Guy from freesound.org. This closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross, available at freemusicarchive.org. All sound effects used are self-made or acquired via Creative Commons Zero License. If you like what you have heard, find us on Twitter and Facebook as The Glitter Boys. That's B-O-I-S. And check us out online at breakfastpuppies.com slash glitterboys. And also join us on the Breakfast Puppies Network Discord at breakfastpuppies.com slash discord. And if you want to help us out, please spread the word and help us build a community. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. 